And yesterday, uh, during the board meeting, I read this passage, and it's just been on my heart so much over the last week or so that I want to read it again. It's out of Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah 59, and I think it, uh, it so clearly uh, exemplifies what we're dealing with today in our world um, and in our Christian walk. Because the world does not affect our Christian walk. At least it shouldn't. Our relationship with God is not affected by the world. But we live in the world, so it affects our lives. Um, Isaiah 59, in verse 19, and it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. You see that? When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. The next verse says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgressions in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My Spirit that is upon thee, And my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. And Lord, I just ask God that you will touch me today and give your people something that will help them and and encourage them and embolden them, direct them, lead them. Lord, and I ask that your Holy Spirit will do what I can't do. And I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And as I look around our world, and it's impossible to look at it and not think that the enemy is coming in like a flood. Uh, And he doesn't always come in like a flood. Sometimes the devil just kind of weasels his way in or sometimes he chips things down or he deceives or he manipulates or whatever he may do. But there are times when the enemy just opens the floodgates, it seems, and it just and just comes in like a flood upon us. And as we look at our world, we realize that seems to be what's happening in our in our world situation right now. It's like the enemy is is pouring it out like a flood. And so many people feel disheartened and they feel down and they're fearful and they're and they're confused. But I want to remind them that when the enemy does flow in like a flood, when he comes crashing in like the flood, then the Lord God will raise up a standard before him. The Lord God, and what that, lo- that, that means in this passage is basically what the Lord does is he blows his breath upon them and stops them and gives his people the opportunity to escape. Give them a way around and an escape so that they are not swept away by this river of of evil that the enemy would bring upon us. But there's conditions that God gives us in this. And this is the part that modern churches seem to forget or modern preachers seem to forget and that they like to preach about all the things that God's going to do, but they forget that God has conditions. You know, so many places in Scripture it says the if and the then. 
They don't like the if and the then. They just want the then. You know, God, give me all this stuff. But, you're, you know, in a passage we've talked about many, many times, Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will. And in our lives, we have ifs and we have thens. And this is another one of the, those situations where God's telling us that, that there is a condition. The people that fear the Lord, the people that fear God, who have that, that heart for God, they can rest assured that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God will raise up a standard before him. But there's a condition in our heart having a relationship with Almighty God. We have to know our God. The, the Bible tells us, they that do know our, their God shall be strong and do exploits. They that do know their God we, the strength comes in not our name on a church roll, not being, even being faithful to church. It's not being raised in a Christian family, although that's important too. It's not having a, a grandma or a mama who, who read the Bible to us or, or a daddy who prayed with us or any of that. It is in our own personal relationship. They that do know their God will be strong and, be, and do exploits. It takes that personal walk with him. The enemy is, is, seems to be flooding the earth right now. The attacks are so many faceted. And so it's almost like somebody said the other day, they said, you know, if all of the things that, that people are claiming are true, do you know how many people have to be involved in this conspiracy worldwide? And I'm like, yeah, that's the really strange and scary thing about it. That's what's wild about this whole thing. There has to be so many people involved in what's happening. But the simple fact is the Bible warns us of this stuff. He says it's going to happen. He, he tells us that these are the things that are going to happen in the last days. Second Chronicles chapter 20 gives us a story that I find is so fitting in this time. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And God prepares his people for battle. Because there's, when we go into, when the devil attacks, does God call us to retreat or does he call us to stand and fight? He, he calls us to stand and fight. And I'm not saying we all pick up ARs and we go after them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that kind of a fight. I'm talking about the children of God don't run. They don't cower. They don't, they don't, they don't uh, live in fear and torment. They rise up and they say, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I'm not going to let down. I'm not going to turn back. I'm going to serve God every day of my life. And anything the devil brings is not going to change that. I'm always going to serve my God. And that's what it's all about, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And it came to pass also, after this also, after this also that the uh, children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them others beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some of the old, and told Jehoshaphat, saying, There, come, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. There cometh upon you a great multitude. You have an army bearing down on you. They're coming after you. A great multitude from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazantamar, which is in, <laughs> which is Engadi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat feared. I want you to understand, we are human beings. Things scare us. And, I, and I've, that's, 
what do you call it, the super Christianity that used to be preached that you're not supposed to ever be scared. You're not ever supposed to be worried. You're not ever supposed to fear. You're not ever supposed to, to dread. You're not, ha- you're not supposed to face any of that stuff. Folks, if uh, somebody came in and pulled a gun on you right now, you're going to be scared. You're a human. God created you with fear in you. When we look at our world situation, we get scared. It, it, it bothers us. But it should only bother us for a moment as we gather ourselves and we seek our God and we, and we get bathed in Him. We don't live in fear, but things scare us. And that's okay. And I say that because I feel like a lot of people think that if they're afraid, that they have somehow failed God. And that's not the case. It's a human natural reaction. You're driving along and a car comes across the center line and comes straight at you. You're scared. There's a fear there. There's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. But living in fear is a problem. That's where our faith starts to crumble and God doesn't want us living in that fear. He wants us to live in faith. And so Jehoshaphat feared, but then he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. That's what we do with fear. That's how we handle fear. That's how we handle worry. When things in the world are crashing down around us, we seek the Lord and we ask for His help. Even out of all the cities, Judah came to seek the Lord. Verse 5 says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou, are not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over the kingdoms of the earth? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who who didst drive out the inhabitants of the land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? See, Jehoshaphat was acknowledging a couple of things. Number one, he was acknowledging that God is God. He is the Almighty God. And he says, are you not the God that is in heaven? Are, is that not you? Are you not the one that spread your hands and, and across the whole universe and spoke the world into existence and spoke the universe into existence with just a word? You're that God. But that's not good enough because there's a lot of gods out there. And all of them are claimed to be, uh, you know, the creator or the great one or whoever the, he may be. But then he goes on and says, you are, you are the God in heaven, but are you not also our God? That brings that back to that personal side I was talking about last week. It's not good enough to just have a God out there. It has to be a personal God. Are you not our God? Do you see what we're going through right now? Do you recognize what has happened in our lives? We're, we're looking to you, God, because you're our God. You're the, ones that, you're the one that we serve. Verse 9 says, If and when evil come upon us as a sword, judgment and pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence. We stand in this house and in thy presence. For thy name is in this house. And we cry unto thee in our afflictions. Then thou wilt hear and help. We cry unto you in our affliction and you will hear and you will help. We recognize that God is the Almighty God. We recognize that He is our personal God. And then we recognize that He is the one who will move and help in our time of need. Verse 12 says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? 
For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. I want you to understand something the way God so often does things. And I, we've experienced it in our, our life more times than I can count. And I'm sure you have too. God very often does not answer when I ask him to. Anybody else notice that? God, I've got this scheduled, and at 1 o'clock tomorrow, this is what I want you to do. And he said, ain't going to happen, kid. God is the creator of all things. He spoke the universe into existence. He created you. He breathed life into you. Because of who he is, he demands and has the right to all glory and all honor and all worship and all praise. He deserves the right to, for, uh, for all the glory to be aimed and directed directly at him and no one else. And I believe that that's why so many times in our life, so many times down through Scripture, you see the same situation when God seems to show up, kind of like the old uh, Lone Ranger, when everything is closing in and you're about done and you're out of bullets and all of a sudden the cavalry comes over the hill. That's how God tends to do. When you're all done and there's no other avenue, there's no other means and there's nothing else you can do, all of a sudden God says, now I will step in. Why does he do that? Because he's the only one who could have done it. It, it. See, we're too tempted if we, if God answers sooner than that, we think we worked it out. We think it was us. Yeah, that was a pretty smart decision I did right there. We did the right thing right there. God says, I'm going to move that right on out of there. And I'm going to drive you right up to the shores of the Red Sea. And I'm going to have this massive Egyptian army coming down on you with, with chariots and swords and, and spears. And you're going to have literally no place to go. And you're going to be looking death very much in the face. And I'm going to wait until you're just about ready to, to, to fall apart. And then I'm going to part the Red Sea for you. Because then you know that you know that you know that it was nobody else. It was me. And all the glory goes to Almighty God. And as we look at this, as God is, is, is preparing something, and I don't know what it is. I wish I was a prophet. No, I don't. I don't want that job. I did not say that, God. Do you know? <laughs> Glad I'm not a prophet. I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. But one thing I do know is that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God is going to raise up a standard against him for his people. God is going to do that. And then this is what God tells him. Let's see, go down to about verse 15. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king of Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. Wow. That's a powerful, that's one of the most powerful, <laughs> what, four words? Battle is not yours. That's one of the most powerful four words in all of Scripture right there. The battle is not yours, but that battle belongs to God. Some of those folks that, uh, that remember the, uh, the Southern Gospel craze will remember the little, that song called Little David. You remember that one? <laughs> little David, oh so strong. The battle's not mine, said Little David. Lord is thine, I'm in thy favor. I've given it all to you. you. You know what to do. That's a great song. I love that song. That's the same thing. 
When Israel was back to the wall, they were facing a multitude of some little kid trying to, trying to go out there against a, a, a 10-foot giant, 12-foot giant, however big Goliath was. And all of it seemed to be to the point of no repair, no answer. And then God raised up a standard and said, I'm going to do something to, to deliver my people in this time. He says, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle does not belong to you. It belongs to God. I'm going to fight this one for you. If we fight it, we fight it with flesh and blood. When God fights it, he fights it with something far beyond flesh and blood. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This battle, I would, you know, there's a small part of me that wishes God would just kind of open my spiritual eyes. Uh, like he did Elisha's uh, servant, you know, just open those spiritual eyes and let me see into the spirit realm. But then I think I would probably just die of a heart attack. If I knew the battle and the warfare that was going on around us right now, I don't want to see. I, I, no, don't, God, don't, don't show me that. It has to be terrifying when we see what's happening in our world, what has to be happening behind the scenes that we can't see. That battle, that war has to be unbelievable that's going on right now as the powers of hell clash with the powers of God. It has to be something beyond imagination. But God tells his people right here, don't even worry about it. I've got this one for you. Did God always do that? No, sometimes he sent Israel in there to fight. But in this situation, he said, relax, I'm taking care of this one for you. Verse 17 says, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> now, put yourself in that situation. You're Israel, you're out there, you're completely surrounded by this massive enemy army that, that is the Ammonites and the, the Moabites and the mountain of Seir people, and they're all surrounding you, and God says, don't worry, you're not going to have to fight. Do you put your sword down at that point? No. <laughs> I'm thinking I would still be holding my sword and probably my, my shield and I'd be like, okay, God, what exactly are you up to here? What are you going to do exactly? I, I want to know. And he would say, I'm not going to tell you because this is the time for you to get built in your faith. I'm not telling you what I'm going to do. I'm just telling you that I'm going to take care of it. Ooh, you talk about a challenge to your faith right then. You talk about a challenge. And then he says, let's, I'll read that again. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> wow. Stand there. Don't do a thing. Let me show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of it. You know what the enemy armies did? They killed each other right in front of Israel while Israel was standing there watching. The, the children of Ammon and the children of Moab started fighting against the, the, uh, the, the mountain of Seir people because God had told Israel to set up an ambush and make them all believe that they were in the wrong enemy. So they start fighting each other. And then when Ammon and Moab killed the, the people of the Mount of Seir, they turned on each other and wiped each other out. That had to be an interesting day in television. <laughs> I just sit here and watch this. Anybody got the popcorn? <laughs> this is pretty cool. What's going on right now? And God delivered his people without them ever having to fire a shot, so to speak. 
They never had to lift a finger. They stood there and watched God come to their defense. I'm going to tell you something. I want you to understand. In everything that's happening in the world, all that's going on, God will never leave you in a position where He, he, he will abandon you and you don't have an answer. God will always be there. And He says, in the midst of all that's going on, when the enemy comes in like a flood, and folks, the enemy is coming in like a flood right now on our world, not just our country, but our world and as the enemy is doing that God is raising up a standard and he is coming to, into the battle for us I believe that we are not alone in this thing does anybody else hear what I'm saying you're just kind of going <laughs> I'm, telling, I'm trying to tell you folks be encouraged we're not alone in this thing our God is with us in this thing we are not fighting this battle. And he may just tell us, just sit back and relax. Let me handle this for you. I don't know what's going to happen. But one thing I know is that as the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord is going to raise up a standard. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. God encampeth round about. He surrounds those that fear him. And delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is formed against you shall succeed. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment will be condemned. This peace and righteousness and security and triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me. Zechariah 2.8 says, For he that touches you, that you, touches the apple of my eye. God says, if the enemy comes against you, he touches the apple of God's eye. You are the apple of his eye. Psalm 32, 7 says, you are my hiding place. You, Lord, protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs and shouts of deliverance. God is not going to leave us during this time. I, I, I got up here today to just try to encourage you to know that whatever is happening in the world, you're not alone. And you're not going to go through it alone. And God will Raise up a standard to protect you during this time. And what I want to do now, like I mentioned earlier, is I would like us to spend a little bit of time again praying for our nation. I think this is a critical time. I said a week or so ago that I think the next few weeks is going to be critical. And I believe that's still the case. The next few weeks is going to be critical. And we need to pray for our nation. The Bible tells us to do that, and I want to remind you in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our Savior. He didn't say you pray for him if he's a Republican, but you don't pray for him if he's a Democrat. He didn't say that you do pray for him if he's a Democrat, but you don't pray for him if he's a Republican. He said you pray for your leaders. Amen. You pray for them, no matter who they are. And I think that the, the battle, the warfare that is going on right now against the president, I, I, we were talking about this in the board meeting, I don't even know how in the world the man can take it. I think I would go insane. But I, we need to pray for him.